Hello and welcome to WMQ&A, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote, and this episode is going to contain spoilers galore for Avengers Infinity War. So if you haven't seen it yet, please, I beg you, do so before listening to this episode because we're really going to get into it. And helping me get into it is a returning guest. He writes about comics at batmansbookcase.com. It's Zach Quaintance. Zach, welcome back. Hey, glad to be here. So, uh... First impressions. What'd you, what'd you, what'd you think? <laughs> Let's go as broad as possible to start. <laughs> I mean, I think that's good because uh, uh, I don't know where to start with this movie, really. I don't, it's sort of unprecedented if you think about it. Um, but I should clarify right off the bat by saying I loved it and uh, am still sort of reeling from the experience. Uh, my first impression, uh, I saw it, I went Thursday, like straight after work. And uh, the first thing I came out with came out of the theater with, uh, you know, I had gone with friends. Uh, my wife was planning to take my uh, six-year-old son on Sunday, and you know, just those last few minutes, especially the the Spider-Man, Tony Stark, don't let me go stuff. I, you know, I was like, you know, maybe, uh, maybe we don't want to take 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 my son to uh, see it. It might break him a little bit. <laughs> you know, but Logan still really wanted to go. And so I just kind of prepped him. I'm like, listen, there's going to be another movie in another year. Everything's going to be fine. And so I, I think my fears were unfounded. You know, they came back in the theater and they were, like, they were like, yeah, no, it was, it was okay. We got it. You know, now bear in mind, like when Guardians 2 came out, I watched them both cry when Yondu died. Yeah. So this was like 9-11 times a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, I asked Logan about Spider-Man he said yeah you know I got I, I kind of held back tears but it was okay that's good I was I was curious about that because you know we have the benefit of knowing the source material and knowing there's another movie coming and just common sense dictating that they're not gonna uh, mass exterminate half of their new franchises but I was wondering what someone who, who kind of went into it as just a normal uh, film goer would think mm-hmm um, I was sitting next to a kid. I don't know how old he was. I mean, seven or eight maybe. Wow. And he was, and as the as the credits were coming, he was just kind of like muttering to himself, like, "Oh no, like no, they're not going to do this." And then he gets real quiet, and you know, he's obviously kind of waiting for the uh, the end credit scene. And he just says to his mom, "I wish somebody would snap their finger and get rid of half these credits." So I was like, you know, emotionally, he's probably fine. Yeah. <laughs> I think you come up with something that clever. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't have even come up with that. I was, but I was right there with him, you know. How was the, uh, how was the crowd when, uh, when you saw it? It was fantastic. Uh, I, there were, I, I don't think I've been in a movie where there were more sort of visceral reactions to what was happening. I mean, they cheered when... Um, whenever uh, a new character came on screen really like when cap the train kind of moves and cap is there there's a big cheer um and then just seeing wakanda got people to cheer like the opening shot of a grass field yes uh <laughs> as soon as those drums kicked in everybody started cheering when he says like oh i know where we can go like the crowd went nuts yeah the, uh, so that was awesome <laughs> Um, the other the other big thing is like I don't think th there was only one obnoxious person in my uh, in my viewing, and he wasn't wrong. Uh, it was when uh, Peter Dinklage's character was introduced, 
and he basically just yelled out, he's a giant, and then used the, you know, slur for a little person. I'm not going to repeat it here. But, uh, yeah, he the Dinklage reminded me of Sweetums from the Muppets. Like, <laughs> just his gait and mannerisms. Yeah, it, that that part, I don't know. that If, if I had any, uh, if I was taken out of the movie by anything, it was probably that part. Okay. But, uh, I mean, not not much. It was just, <laughs> I think it, part of it was sort of like, we didn't know who Peter Dinklage was playing for so long. And then it was it was kind of a, a visceral shock when it when it came on there, and you're like, "Whoa, he's huge!" I think a lot of people went in thinking he was going to be like they were going to introduce Pip the Troll, and it just felt like too obvious. I'm like, "Oh no, we're going to make him play a giant version of himself." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was kind of cool. They sort of subverted expectations that way. But I was I was hoping he'd be the Watcher or something like that. Oh, that would have been dope. Although, yeah, that's, I don't know. That's I don't what know I... if they can do that just yet. We might right. still be like another year or two from starting to see the uh, the Fox and Marvel Studios characters starting to play nice with each other. Yeah, I know. I, I And those Silver Surfer rumors, I'm a huge Silver Surfer fan, and I'd kind of built that up a little bit in my head. But yeah, we're, we're still probably a few movies away. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe by Avengers 4, you know, they can reintroduce the FF. That would be kind of a nice first taste of, of what's to come, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yes. Um, what do you think? Uh, do you have any predictions for the title for Avengers Four? Uh, I don't, but I believe that you did earlier today. Tweeted that you did. So uh, I do. What, what yeah. is your theory? Uh, I think we're all overthinking it. I think they might just go with uh, Infinity War Part Two, and they kind of like didn't want to tip that the movie would end sort of half completed, and that's why they like said, "Oh no, we can't reveal the title quite yet." Okay. I don't. Yeah. yeah I don't. I, I don't have. Yeah. I really don't have my own sort of deep-seated theory. Maybe like Infinity Crusade. <laughs> <laughs> I saw somebody predict New Avengers or Avengers Forever, and I liked. I kind of liked the implications of both of those. I do like that, especially because you know it's going to be a changing of the guard movie. Yeah, I think it has to be. I mean, the way they uh, sort of left the original cast uh, all intact going into the the next movie, kind of. Seems like they're setting up almost the last hurrah for the uh, the Avengers as we've known them, which would you know, um, sort of give way then to the new the new team. Yeah, who do they? Who do they? They left like the original five Avengers minus Hawkeye, obviously, mm-hmm. Sir, Sir not appearing in this film. Uh, they left Rocket, <laughs> Rhodey, and I guess Nebula, because otherwise Tony would have been by himself on Titan. Yeah, and then. A couple of the Wakanda characters and yeah, that's right. I guess... All of Black Panther supporting oh. cast minus T'Challa. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. When he started to fade away, I was I was immediately in my head thinking these deaths are not permanent because they're not doing that. That's true. Um, you know, I was I was talking about how much I thought I was afraid Spider Man was going to affect my son, but. I gotta tell you, when Bucky and Sam went like one right after the other, that that was what hit me. I'm like, you can't take both of Steve's boyfriends. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. Rapid fire like that too. Uh, um, what did you think of the Red Skull? Uh, that that was another part that I was sort of surprised to see uh, a big a big reaction from the audience. Everybody sort of gasped. Yeah. Um, and 
I don't know. I think it's kind of put a pin in, in how it works. I don't know if it was just for shock or if it's going to have implications later, but I, I'm kind of hopeful that that won't be the last that we see of the Red Skull. Um, yeah, different, I mean, different actor, not Hugo Weaving. Um, they got Ro- uh, Ross Marquand from the uh, from The Walking Dead, but still, like just just a huge shock because that was not a guy I was ever expecting to come back. Yeah, it wasn't on my radar whatsoever. Um, and they kind of did it logically. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't forced or anything like that. It it worked for me. Yeah. Um, Post credit scene. Nick Fury apparently has a magic beeper that can contact the 90s <laughs> yeah that was kind of my takeaway because Captain Marvel is supposed to be set in the 90s right yeah it definitely is um, yeah and the the I guess he didn't update his communications method since since then <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there was definitely like when the little symbol comes up on the on the pager there was at least one per- that was the other time somebody yelled out because that somebody was like what the hell is that <laughs> so I don't really? think despite um, oh my god at the Olympics I can't remember somebody had like the Carol costume in like the downhill ski event uh-huh. but I uh, yeah I, 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 she hasn't quite penetrated the zeitgeist uh, yet no yeah they they but they I'm not too concerned I mean I think uh, the way this movie ended was sort of intentional like the people will be lining up to see that movie without having that knowledge of the character in advance because of this one. Yeah. I I mean, at this point they got us all trained. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah. We're going to go to everything from now until we die more than likely. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Uh, We're supposed to be getting a new Ant-Man on the Wasp trailer tomorrow too. Yeah. What do you, what are your, do you have expectations for that movie? Do you have any thoughts on, on what I, from what I understand, it's going to be set before infinity war, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It sounds like it's going to be set like ap- shortly after civil war. So I guess, you know, busting Scott out of, uh, well, no cat, cat busted Scott out of the raft. That was the post credit scene. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's something, but yeah, there was it, some line about how him and him and Clint had cut deals to be with their family. Yeah. Did you yeah. Which is which is understandable. Um but still, you know, notable absences. I kind of came up with like a list of people that I mean, there were like 70 characters in this movie. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, it did its job, but there were a few noticeable absences, you know. Like uh on the Asgardian's ship, like there's no Valkyrie, there's no Korg. Um although I don't know that I could have handled a Korg death scene even though he's just a CGI character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Meek's yeah. dead for real this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Corvus Glaive yeah. stepped on him. <laughs> it would have been tonally uh, at odds with most of the movie, I think. That is true. Although we still got a more humorous Thor. Like the Thor Infinity War was still funnier than the Thor in the first two Thor movies. I was glad to see that. I kind of think the Thor in Infinity War is is the perfect Thor. Um, and that. I I am all in for any kind of use of Thor moving forward. If they want to make him part of the Guardians. I am there for that. That that would be pretty awesome. I'll tell you that that scene where the Bifrost comes down on the battlefield in Wakanda, and you just see Stormbreaker just nuts going nuts all over the place. That was another one of those like big clap moments. 
Yeah, that was a huge set piece. I think I was pumping my fist involuntarily as that was happening. <laughs> I, yeah, definitely then and when um, when Bucky picks up Rocket and then they just start shooting back to back. That was cool. Yeah, there's it's it's one of those movies where I'm like still recalling uh, parts of it that I'd sort of been too lost in the narrative to even remember that happened. Yeah, it's, things things get lost, but. Uh... You, you sort of just you had that flashback like five days later at your desk oh yeah remember when Groot gave his arm to Thor for his hammer that was awesome I forgot, I forgot about that that was awesome <laughs> the the other day I was just sort of staring off into space and my wife was like what's what's wrong like oh my god and I was like that part with Iron Man and Spider-Man is what's wrong <laughs> like I just can't can't process this yeah uh, did you see it with your wife is she is she into it or uh, she goes, but I, and she she likes it, but mm-hmm. she's never. I mean, there's a definitely a, a major discrepancy in excitement between the two of us. Okay, but um, she liked this one, and she liked Black Panther quite a bit, and she like she liked Thor Ragnarok. So we're sort of on a winning streak lately. Okay, that's good. Yeah, my uh, my wife still hasn't seen Black Panther. You know, I'll get the Blu-ray when it comes out. Um, she's big into the Guardians films because Chris Pratt's kind of her celebrity crush. So. Uh-huh. That helps. Yeah, exactly. Um, what were things that happened in the movie that you weren't expecting based on the trailers? Like, for I'll, I'll give you a for instance, like Banner being in the Hulkbuster armor in Wakanda. Yeah, that was such an expert bait and switch. They even had that sort of false footage of the Hulk charging into battle with yeah. everyone else. Uh, and I kept honestly was expecting him to Hulk out and sort of break out of the armor and uh and for us to still get that that scene so that was that was i almost appreciate it that they misled us that way because um it's nice not to know everything that's going to happen yeah I mean, somebody pointed out to me you know the whole thing with banner being unable to hulk out he was basically uh, the hulk was afraid of thanos that's how thanos i read was the first character that you know or the first person to beat his ass yeah exactly he was like the bully that got bullied and uh, ran away, basically. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I really wasn't expecting was uh, Gamora, the that scene. Oh um, yeah. This and this then also. Is, is, no, I'm sorry. Go now. Go ahead. Uh, also, Thanos was sort of. I, you could almost sympathize with his motives at times a little bit, like, or you could at least see where he was coming from, which is which was new. Um, it, not just the like fascination with death, but like he had like an economic motive going on that I was a little surprised to see that they kind of went that route. I thought they'd just make him pure evil. Yeah, this was definitely not like a cackling villain uh, Thanos, you know, and part of me wondered, you know, is this the uh, the killmonger effect? But in order for that scene, in order for Gamora's death to work, you kind of had to make him you had to give him a more a less nonsense motivation than I'm trying to bang death. Yeah. 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 Otherwise it's, it kind of takes a little bit of goofiness away from him. And when he sheds that tear, you really kind of feel it. Yeah. So I like that about it. I thought that was, I thought Thanos was, I mean, the, like he was the one who sort of went through the hero's journey in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd say that. Um, 
Another thing that kind of felt like a bait and switch to me, I had this whole fan theory worked up about the Soul Stone uh, being in Wakanda, that like a piece of it was in the meteor that fell to Earth that gave them all their technology and, you know, uh, kind of seeded the herbs that allowed them to commune with the dead and all that. I was way off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was right there with you. I just assumed that they'd had it in Wakanda all along, and that's why so many of the battles uh, in the trailers were were taking place there. Did you like how they how they ultimately did it? Yeah, no, I, I think everything came together uh, quite nicely. You know, uh, I did too. Yeah, just this kind of very lovely character interplay stew, and the sort of the pacing was just juggled so well and. Like they had so much had to be done right for this movie to to work as well as it did, and they they sort of nailed all of it. Absolutely, you know, the movie was two and a half hours long, or two hours and forty minutes, whatever. It didn't drag. I was never like checking my phone. I never like, you know, I didn't have to pee. It was, yeah, per you know, I, I think it was perfectly paced. And the thing is, like, if you think about what it goes into this movie, like, I was kind of think about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You know how in making that movie, the different animation studios kind of like nickeled and dined the production process. All right, well, this character has to appear for this many seconds and he gets a line. You know, Porky Pig has to appear on screen this many times, that kind of thing. I almost wonder if there were sort of like agents at the table sort of angling for, you know, okay, Dave, Dave Batista gets this many scenes and, you know, Mantis gets this much and, you know, Ned has to get at least one line and that line is all <laughs> going to die. <laughs> um, it did seem like a deliberate effort made to, to let everybody do their thing as much as possible. But I sort of wonder if, if they were, if they were kind of getting away because the expectation was for this giant team of movie. And if part of what was happening with a lot of those scenes was like, let's get, let's let everybody do their thing because the next movie is going to be, Tony, Steve, and Thanos, or whatever it's going to end up being. Yeah. Uh, with everybody sort of gone. Do you have any theories about the time stone in Doctor Strange? Because there was that, like, you know how he kind of does that whole thing where it's running scenarios, and then the time stone just sort of disappears for a minute. You know, he pulls that sleight of hand with, like, you know, it wasn't in the Eye of Agamotto, and then it just sort of materializes. Um. So... I don't know. I haven't read read this take. Is is there sort of a thinking that like Thanos doesn't have the actual time stone, or, or well, is no, it, he definitely does. Like right, right, because you know, he uses it with Vision. Yeah, exactly. And like Strange gives it to him and tells Tony, "This is the end game." That's right. You know, I, I read. You know, that. He had that vision where he's basically like, "I just watched like a million different scenarios. We only win in one." Yeah, and and so he would then subsequently subsequently know everything that would have to happen for that one to come together. Um, I was thinking that when he, when he gave Thanos the stone in it, like to not kill Tony that uh, he, Tony probably, I mean, he fought impressively and all that, but strange is so logical that that probably wasn't about saving uh, Tony's life unless he needed Tony to do something later for them to eventually triumph. It's about Tony saving everyone. And and maybe in the fourth film, that's the heroic sacrifice. And, you know, Downey bows out like we all thought he was going to after Age of Ultron. Yeah. I would 
be an emotional mess for that. It's like, I think we've spent the last few years kind of being like, oh, oh yeah, uh, Downey, Iron Man, he gets a little annoying here and there. And then this movie comes out and you're like, I love this guy. I don't ever want to see him stop playing Iron Man. I thought he was done when Thanos shoved that giant uh, shard into him. There was an audible gasp in the theater when that happened. I think somebody kind of sobbed out like, no. But yeah, I was. I thought he was done for too. I was like, okay, that's the end of Iron Man who was the one character who was in the movie that like you saw and you were like oh he's in this or she's in this no okay like didn't really affect you at all the opposite of sort of the clapping moment yeah the the least consequential I there was something about the way the Guardians from time to time came off that I thought was like a little inorganic here and there um I've seen I've seen arguments that Star Lord was kind of uh, not his best self in this movie. Yeah, there were there were a lot of scenes that weren't a good look. I mean, there was the he was pretty jealous over uh, Chris Hemworth's physique, which you know who can blame him there. And then uh, the uh, not uh, at the end, I mean, he essentially kind of botched their plan to get the the gauntlet off, and so it's but. He, it's almost like a, a really good player that like misses the shot at the buzzer in sports, you know. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's a lot of things led up to that moment. So mm-hmm. like I, I'm not I'm not one of those people um, resenting uh, Star Lord here, but I uh, know I just thought some at times like the Guardians they were maybe a little too jokey here and there. I don't know. It's kind of a, a very small nitpicky complaint, but it is kind uh, of their thing. I don't know. I kind of like Drax now that he's the comic relief in the in the band of comic relief. Mm. Yeah, he's probably my favorite uh, for who they go to for a laugh. Like I'm kind of over the rocket, uh, like cheap rocket trying to get all the money he can out of this and that, and the yeah, Chris Pratt just yelling "dude" all the time. But Drax still he cracks, does yell "dude" know. a lot. Yeah, somebody, some, something weird happens, or like somebody says something outrageous, and he—that's his dude. <laughs> <laughs> but Dave Bautista still cracks me up. I, like for as long as that movie is, the fact that they let the scene breathe where he just practices moving really slowly. I know. Yeah, I was thinking that the whole time. I'm like, they're actually thirty doing seconds this? of this movie was a man eating a chip. <laughs> I know. And it was it was a great scene. <laughs> it really worked. No one can see me. Hi, Drax. <laughs> he committed pretty hard to that. He I really must say. did. Oh man, um, my least favorite character in this movie was Ross. Really? Yeah, I was not happy to see him. Like, I just I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's not that not that he's he's there to be a heel, but. Sure, yeah. I don't blame you. I mean, I sort of forgotten uh, the appearance almost. It's weird that or he's the only character from the old or the uh the 2008 Incredible Hulk movie who has stuck around. Yeah, that's true. I mean, even even Banner was replaced with a different actor and that that guy's still hanging in there. Yeah. And they could totally do the dangling plot thread of of uh Samuel Stern's turning into the leader too if they wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. You almost think that they, I guess they've kept him around maybe for that reason. I'm not sure. My, uh, my one friend had a theory. Well, not, not so much a theory, but like an option for something they could do. 
uh, after this, you know, fourth movie or whatever, when they go into phase, I don't know, five, whatever phase they're on. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Ross decides to misguidedly blame the superheroes for everything that happened with Thanos and just gets mad enough that he forms his old, his own team of, you know, villains working off sentences and uh there there you get a thunderbolts movie oh man i love the thunderbolts um i don't know if i'd like it done quite quite that way i mean i guess the key to the thunderbolts is the redemption angle so as long as the the actual villains are are out for redemption and ross is kind of a side thing i think i'd love to see that i think there's a couple of existing characters that you could do that with in the mcu i actually think this version of zemo could probably redeem himself and Absolutely. Um, the Michael Keaton vulture from oh, that's Homecoming. A, that's a great one. You get Justin Hammer supplying their tech, and I'm really only saying that because Sam Rockwell's. <laughs> you know, for yeah. a bunch of people crap on Iron Man too. I love Sam Rockwell's Justin Hammer. Sam, Sam Rockwell is has been stealing scenes for before the MCU even existed. Yeah, you bring, uh, you bring back Ben Kingsley as the fake Mandarin. And you'd also put uh, Hawkeye in that group. Uh, traditionally, with the the first group of the Thunderbolts, Hawkeye was a big part of that. That's true, yeah. Because he was like the only Avenger left hanging around after Onslaught. Uh huh. Yeah, and he was sort of, and he he'd had his own uh, redemption arc that he was sort of mentoring them mm-hmm. to an extent. Yeah, I've always really liked that story, and I'd love it's. It seems like a wild idea that the Thunderbolts could be introduced in the MCU, but I feel like everything is on the table moving forward. Yeah, just think if they had put some energy into that instead of trying to make the Inhumans work. Oh, I know. <laughs> and now they're going to do the Eternals. I'm so skeptical. That does not excite me in the least. No, like, not at of- all. Think about think about that. Jack Kirby created the Eternals when he came back to Marvel after creating the New Gods at DC. Like this is kind of you know late. I, Jack Kirby has given us you know nothing, so much, so much. I I but I I feel comfortable in saying the Eternals is not like one of his strongest creations. I don't think you're out of line saying that. I mean, I don't think anybody wants to say that, but that was sort of, there was definitely a raised eyebrow collectively in fandom when the Eternals news broke. Yeah. You know, contrast that with when they gave uh, Ava DuVernay the uh, New Gods movie. Yeah, which was nothing but excitement online. Yeah, exactly. That was that was Ewoks dancing. That was... <laughs> oh, man. That was quite a day. Yeah. All right, which, which character dissipation was uh hit you the hardest oh the spider-man iron man one far and away it, it was the whole father-son dynamic they'd been building um going back to civil war just and then in the beginning his dream about being an expectant parent and then essentially having a surrogate son fade away in his arms oh man it wrecked me oh man i didn't even tie those together oh crap i'm sorry yeah <laughs> no for that but you yeah that... feel my feelings <laughs> Yeah, that's why I was staring off in the space the other day when my wife asked me what was wrong. I was, I was working all that out of my head. But yeah, that that was rough. Um, any other uh, any other uh, kind of talking points or things you wanted to point out from this movie before we move on to our second subject of the evening? 
Uh, I think I sort of touched on this, but for me, in the last in the last year or so, Thor has just done a total 180. My feelings towards the character after Ragnarok, and then this sort of like hybrid of the two uh, tones. Uh-huh. I'm loving uh, loving Chris Hemsworth as Thor, and and I know he said that he's down to continue playing the character, so I'm I'm hoping they keep him around moving forward. Yeah, you know he is part. He's part of that old guard whose contracts might be uh, might be expiring. You never know. Although they could totally go like the. They don't necessarily have to make him an Avenger. They could start going like the King Thor route. You know, work some of that Jason Aaron stuff in there. Oh, there's so much they could do. Like I like the Guardians idea and and have Beta Ray Bill show up and some of the more cosmic uh, Thor stories play out. There, there's a lot to do there. I think, especially with Asgard gone, he's sort of like a free. Who knows where? Yeah, he doesn't have the people anymore. <laughs> right. No. Uh, although apparently, I read online that if you listen closely to the chatter uh, in the beginning with the ships, that yeah. they're that some part of what they're saying is that some of the Asgardians got away, which is probably why we didn't see some of those characters you were talking about earlier. Okay. Well, that 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 fills me with hope then, because yeah, I, I definitely want Tessa Thompson to come back. She's got to, right? Like, how could they... There's no way after her performance in Ragnarok that we wouldn't see more of her. Yeah. Plus, I, you know, I think, we, I think we need Taika Waititi to direct another Thor film. Absolutely, yeah. But um, uh, let's, let's move on to our, our kind of second order of the day here. The Eisner nominations came out uh, on Thursday. Any sort of initial reactions? Uh, Monstrous cleaned up huge. I know that's one of your favorite series. I love Monstrous, and I was really I was surprised to see it uh, get so much attention because it it wasn't out much last year. I mean, I think we only got three issues in 2017, and I'm not really sure what the window for eligibility is. Mm-hmm. But uh, I absolutely love Monstrous, and I've been on board um, from issue one, uh, kind of yelling to the world how much I love this book. Uh, it it's just such a great world building lesson for everyone and it feels um i think you're a fan of like old school final fantasy right hell yeah yeah there's a there's an old school final fantasy uh influence at work here a little bit or at least i read it that way uh, to the to the world building and um in in a medium where there's so many uh male driven books this one is entirely driven by strong female characters i don't even think there's a male character of consequence that shows up until the sixth or seventh issue. Um, so it's just a really unique feel to this book, and I, I absolutely love it. I was really happy to see all the attention it got, uh, the Eisner nominations. Yeah, it's up for, it's got five nominations up for Best ser- best Ongoing Series, Best Writer, Best Multimedia Artist, and Cover Artist, both for Sama Takeda, and uh, Best Series for Teens. That, that was a little surprising to me because there's some brutal thematic elements at work in this book about uh, genocide and and there's characters burned in the first issue it is so I was I don't know how appropriate I mean it's that took me a little bit by surprise I guess because the protagonist herself is of, of that age it's an easy fit in that box okay um, the other sort of uh, big theme that came out of this that I noticed was there's um, there was kind of a major discussion on Thursday when the nominations came out about sort of the distinction between uh, let's see so the category is I'm trying to bring it up here 
we go. Best coloring, but the nominee, you know, the list of nominees really didn't include a lot of career colorists. So for example, on the one hand, you've got Dave Stewart, you know, career colorist, uh, Black Hammer colors, all the help, you know, the Mignola Hellboy stuff. Uh, and then you've got guys like Ed Pisker, who, you know, is basically an illustrator, but who happened to also do his own coloring on X-Men Grand Design. And Mitch Gerrids, who's, you know, again, drawing, but also coloring Mr. Miracle. So it's not, you know, you're not seeing like your Jordy Belairs, your Matt Wilsons, you guys like that. Yeah, I'd I'd, pref I'd certainly prefer to see a category for full-time colorists. Uh, I think that'd be. I mean, they they so often don't even get listed in the announcements for new series, and they're sort of neglected as a as a trade in within comics. And it'd be nice to see kind of just for full-time colorists get get a little bit more attention. I think you're start you're starting to see a change a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, there's still mountains to go, but uh, Image started this campaign uh, at the beginning of the year where it's going to do these sort of these variant covers uh, throughout the year that recognize sort of different parts of the industry, be, you know, beyond the writers. So, for example, in, in uh, March, it was their Artists Month, and they did these wraparound version covers that didn't feature, like, logos or anything, but it's just, you know basically uh like for example for wicked and the vine the divine it's just wraparound cover of all the characters and it's just jamie mckelvey's art and then uh i i think it was april but they did a similar thing for colorists where they took an issue of spawn and there were it's the same todd mcfarland drawing for for all like eight covers or whatever but each one is colored by a different colorist and if you look at them all like you know side by side you can actually see the differences in how these people work. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's some colorists, uh, Jordi Belair comes to mind, that you can see her work. Like, if, if you you could show me a panel she's colored, and I and I can kind of tell it's her often. Uh, and I think Dave Stort's one of those colorists, too. There's too many to name, but yeah, I think it's, it's almost not quite as distinct as the art itself, but, there's, but it's very distinct and um, really can change the entire tone of a book. Absolutely. You know, I, I think in the 90s, we got accustomed to kind of learning how artists and inkers work together. And I think we're sort of entering a period. First of all, I'm starting to see a lot more artists inking themselves. But second of all, like, I think we're starting to see how artists and colorists sort of work in uh, in, in sync with each other. Like, uh, I think the example I kind of go to is like Chris Somney and Matt Wilson. You you know you kind of I mean obviously Matt Wilson works with lots of artists but those two together I feel like complement each other extremely well. Absolutely. And uh, I'm starting to see like like Marvel and DC are starting to in like their solicits and and in get, sending out like preview images include their colorists more in in giving credit especially with like covers. It's nice to see. I, I it just seems like such a no brainer. Um, mm. Like I can't believe it's 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 taking this long. Um, such a key part of the book, obviously. Yeah, um, but you know, obviously, uh, miles to go. Um, Incremental change. Exactly. Um, did you notice the absence of Brian K. Vaughn this year? I did. I mean, it's yeah, not a complete I, absence. He's I, up for best digital comic for Barrier, which is actually 
the it's coming to print uh, this month in May. Like they're they're dropping the first issue on Free Comic Book Day, and then it's going to be weekly out from there. But other than that, like no saga, which usually gets nominated in like multiple categories. No Paper Girls. I was really surprised. I thought Paper Girls had especially kind of evolved and really uh, had really been very well done in the past year. And um, I, I absolutely did notice that. that and I, I don't know if it, maybe it speaks to the quality of the new work uh, that we've had lately. But yeah, that was sort of a glaring omission when I looked at it. Like, where is he? Yeah, I mean, you, you you do hate to see like the same faces every year sort of gobbling up sure. all the praise. Obviously, you want to elevate new voices. You know, after a while, uh, a Vaughn project can be like, uh, you know, to compare it to the Emmys, like Veep or, or uh, Modern Family being nominated every year. Yeah, or Meryl Streep every every year at the Oscars. She's always gets the nomination. Yeah. Um, so if this is if this kind of allowed other people to to rise up, then that's a good thing. Um, you know, certainly I'm happy to see uh, Tom King nominated for for best writer and and uh mr miracle for best uh let's see yeah best limited series yeah i mean he's what do you think do you think tom king's front runner for best writer and and mr miracle kind of the series to beat for limited series uh let's see i'm, I'm looking at for best limited series it's up against black panther world of wakanda uh extremity by daniel warren johnson that had good buzz the Flintstones. Yeah. I actually think the Flintstones might be competition. Um, I don't know if you read that. Uh, I'm reading. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then X Men Grand Design, which is also pretty, uh, pretty dope. I do. I mean, it's my personally. It is Mr. Miracle is my front runner. Yeah, I, I think I, I like all these books. All five of them for best limited series. Um, it, it's a hard it's a hard choice but if i think about like what what book stays with me the most month to month and do i think about the most it's definitely mr miracle yeah no absolutely it, that that is the series that has launched a thousand think pieces several which right. you can find at our at our website <laughs> <laughs> um what do you think Excellent about designed oh. it's really cool though too i i have to say Real quick, that that's kind of it's a book you can sort of set out on your coffee table and and have people come over that don't even like comics and they'll pick it up and and be like, what is this? And start talking about it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, right down to the paper quality, everything is is carefully considered. You know, when you're trying to cram uh, like thirty years of X Men continuity into into six issues. I don't know how he's going to do it. It just get like in the it's it's been hard in the beginning, but it it gets so crazy. I mean, like late eighties, early nineties, it's going to get absolutely absurd. I, I I thought he, you know, the the second issue that that tries to coalesce everything that happened in like, you know, the the back half of the sixties into one narrative was amazing. Because <laughs> those yeah. were some bad comics. <laughs> Silver <laughs> Age X Men is not good. <laughs> No, yeah, they were really bad. <laughs> yeah. Do you like King for Best Writer? He's up against Matt Kent, Jeff, Lem Jeff Lemire, Marjorie Liu, and uh, Mark Russell. I, you know, I think I do. Like, you look at if you look at the nomination site, they sort of have listed some of those individual issues, like Batman Annual Number Two and the, the Batman Elmer Fudd Special. Yeah, both of which were incredible. Exactly, and it, like all time great 
use of Batman in both of those, which we'd almost never seen before. And that's really to his credit to be able to do that with a character like Batman. And the Elmer Fudd thing, like, I, I just, how do you do that? Like that, it just seemed like such a goofy idea, and it works so, so well. I, yeah, I, Homeboy wrote a straight Batman story with, with Elmer Fudd, with his speech impediment, pining yeah. for Silver Saint Cloud. Yeah, and it's super gritty and dark, and like the Elmer Fudd character is tragic somehow. And on top of all that, he made them canon. Yeah, they all show up at Batman Annual too. Also drawn by Lee Weeks. <laughs> yeah, I hope we see more Lee Weeks, Tom King, Batman collaborations moving forward here. I'm pretty sure he's in the rotation now, on uh, on the main Batman title. That's fantastic. Yeah, he's got he's got quite the stable to work from there. But you know, like Clay Man, and he's had Finch and Garrods and Tony Daniel. Yeah, Tony Daniel. Yeah, it's a good-looking book. It, yes. <laughs> but you look you look at some of the other writers. I mean, there, there's a lot of competition in this category. Like Matt Kent is easy to forget about, but some these these quiet indie books he he does are just so good. Like the Eternity, which is sort of an extension of Divinity with Valiant. Mm-hmm. Those are fantastic mm-hmm. comics. And now he's uh, ma- masterminding their uh, big summer crossover. I can't wait for that. By the way, I'm very excited. I read the prelude. Uh, I read an advanced copy of the play uh, prelude. The problem with that, though, is it kind of makes me miss. Like the original plan for Harbinger Wars Two was that it was going to be each book was going to be double sized and split between Matt Kitt uh, and and Tomas Giarello on one side, and then the Secret Weapons team, uh, Eric Heiser, Raul Allen, and Patricia Martin on the other half. And I really like the art that um, Allen and Martin do. Like their layouts are are crazy. Oh, I know. Absolutely. That, that Secret Weapons book has been so good. Did you read that vignette issue? I think it was Owen's story. Yeah, I really like that issue. That one blew me away. Just the construction of the narrative was so good. I've been really impressed with with that team and the way they collaborate. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I, I do hope we see more stuff from them somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. It's unfortunate they didn't stick to the original plan. Um, let's see here. All right, who do you like for best penciler slash inker or penciler inker inker team? Uh, that's not that's the one with uh, Mitch Gerardis and and David Rubin, right? Yes, it is. Any category with Sana Takeda in it, I'm picking her for her work on Monsters. It's been that good. Oh, she is uh, actually in a separate category. She is under best painter multimedia artist. That's right. Yeah, so I can't dodge that uh, Rubin Gerardis comparison <laughs> <laughs> you have to choose <laughs> I, I have to go mitch gerardus i think the what he's done with mr miracle is just phenomenal yeah no definitely but i have to admit i mean i haven't read uh jane or lewis undercover uh, from that category mm-hmm. there's so, yeah that's the thing there's like a lot the, the the stuff i don't know i i'm unfamiliar with in this eisner uh you know, list could fill a phone book, you know, especially yeah. like I looked at on, look, I was, I made a I listed all the categories that I have no like input on. It's like short story, single issue, one shot publications for younger readers, anthology, reality based work, graphic album, uh, adaptation from another medium, U S edition of international material, archival collection, academic scholarly work, publication design. 
And I'm not quite yeah. clear what the distinction they make is between a digital comic and a web comic. I don't understand that either. Mm-hmm. I, I usually take a lot of these categories as sort of like, hey, dummy, like broaden your horizons and read these. These are good comics. Yeah. I mean, it's, so, it's, it's the same with the Oscar nominations. You know, it's not like you've seen every movie. I mean, unless you're, you know, obviously unless you're an obsessive cinephile, but you haven't seen every movie that's nominated for the Oscars every year. It's usually the push that makes you go out and watch those movies. Yeah, we're always trying to cram in the last two or three on on demand before the Oscar night mm-hmm. that week. It's the same way with comics. I mean, I I made a list of like uh, some of these that I've heard so much buzz about that I've just been negligent um, checking out. Like my favorite thing is Monsters by Emil Ferris. Yeah, that's I've heard good things forever. about that. Yeah, I'm bumping that to the top of my list. That's it's getting embarrassing at this point. Yeah. Uh, I will say under best humor publication, um, obviously there was the Batman Elmer Fudd special, uh, which is kind of my pick to win. But uh, one of the other things that was nominated was Rock Candy Mountain by Kyle Starks uh, over at Image. Um, and uh, Will Nevin, who's who's also been on the podcast before, uh, raves about that book. And he uh, Kyle Starks was at a con this weekend that I was at in, uh, in New Jersey. So uh, I bought both trades off of him. Uh, so I'm looking forward to reading that. I haven't had a chance to read that either. Uh, that's a strong category, though, with Flintstones and the Batman Elmer Fudd and um, Tom Gold is always good. Uh, yeah, I I need to check out Rock Candy Mountain as well because I've, I've heard a lot of – the people who love it really love it. And speaking of, of the Flintstones and Mark Russell, I'm definitely looking forward to Snagglepuss being uh, nominated in this category next year. Yeah, absolutely. How could it not be? Yeah. Too good. Best new series, Black Bolt, Grass Kings, Maestros, Redlands, and Royal City. Oof, that's another tough one. Yeah. Oh, man. I almost want to say Black Bolt. You know, it's interesting that Black Bolt's nominated as under Best New Series and, and not Best Limited Series. Right. Yeah, that's almost how Marvel marketed it. Uh, apparently made the difference, I suppose, but... From my understanding, it was always capped at a certain number of issues, and then they kind of gave it a few extra. Well, you know, I do wonder if that's like they tell the art, you know, they they tell the creative team one thing, and then they market it a different way. Because I I do think that with a lot, you know, with their sort of prestige series, I almost feel like they're uh, afraid to kind of say, oh, we're going to cap it at like six issues or twelve issues, you know, just on the off, if on the off chance there's that fan buzz that they'll just let it keep going. And then they can act like, oh, this was our plan all along. Right. I, I think Saladin Ahmad's been sort of candid about that on Twitter and was saying that he that they told they guaranteed him the first arc and told him to sort of like lay lay ground maybe for a second arc, but it was far from promise. Mm-hmm. And then when it turned out to be a hit, they got those extra issues. And then his and then the series reached its end and they immediately started soliciting something called Death of the Inhumans. <laughs> immediately and they they put him on a couple extra books though which is nice to see and and i'm gonna i've been reading have you che- have you seen exiles yet or have you I, read- yeah I, I like exiles what a blast man yeah that's been been a ton of fun so far um and it, it just seems to bounce so wildly between totally insane and like epic sci-fi concept it's nice to see somebody using the original nick fury again i know i mean I, as like a slave of the watchers but still yeah, it's still it's it's comforting that he's still around doing something. Yeah, 
Although I do, you know, in thinking about it, after uh, Secret Wars, remember how they, uh, it was, this was Brevoort, I guess, uh, you know, kind of like, okay, this isn't Earth-616 anymore, this is Earth-Prime, and, like, the Richards family was off, like, rebuilding the multiverse. I, it's uh -huh. kind of hard to believe that in three years' time, there's an entire multiverse that can, you know, A, exists already, and B, is imperiled. Like once a month <laughs> i don't know how many times it's a or the earth at least has been under there's been no surrender there was another avengers plot line with the two earths colliding and now this one like i mean that's comics i guess oh yeah no absolutely <laughs> wouldn't have it any other way <laughs> yeah right but this the exiles one i i, I remember seeing the team and that cart cartoon wolverine is a tough sell when when you see a team lineup it's it's tough to wrap your head around, but they pulled it off so well in the second issue. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I don't know if this is supposed to be like a direct relation, but do you remember during Secret Wars there was, it was like a Scotty Young miniseries, and it, it was it was A versus X, but it was like you know little Scotty Young looking characters. Uh huh. I wonder if it was actually it's actually supposed to be that world. Because it was essentially the same thing, like basically just fighting in a treehouse or something, possibly about pies. Yeah, <laughs> that's an interesting. That's an interesting question. I, th I think the ex babies have been around. Um, I don't remember what context they were used in, but do you remember Overwatch, that like customizable Marvel card game? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The ex babies were one of those cards that seemed to be in every booster pack. I think I had like eight of them. Uh, and I don't even know what comics they'd appeared appeared for, but I kind of assumed he'd come from that continuity or where, wherever that had been. Oh, Maybe okay. Some Overwatch yeah. card. No, the well, the X Babies originally were a product of the Mojoverse. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah. Yeah, that's that was my only uh, my only thought when I first saw him was it was that character. Any other uh, any other categories we should dive into here? Do we talk about best continuing series? Uh, let's see here. Oh, that's the one that has uh, Kelly Thompson Hawkeye in it. Yes, it does. Uh, what a great, what a great nomination for, what a great book to hold up to to hopefully get more people to check it out because I feel like that one never quite got the credit it deserved. Yeah, it kind of feels like an in memoriam though. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's up against Black Hammer, Giant Days monstrous and uh, wicked and the divine so it's it's definitely in good company and you know I, I i think we've talked about this before but kelly thompson is due for a uh, kind of huge announcement i think in the next couple of months yeah absolutely i was we were sort of pestering her about it on twitter i think a little bit like when's your announcement coming when's your announcement and she said guys quiet down july <laughs> so we have that to look forward to <laughs> yep hopefully it's something x-men related I th yeah, it would be so nice if it was a, a the sort of lead X-Men book. Yeah, if they relaunched Uncanny or something like that. Uh, you know, uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm loving her Rogue and Gambit, so. Yeah, it feels like a tryout a little bit, I think, for a bigger X book. They sort of did it with Rosenberg, and, and he ended up with Astonishing. Yeah. So I think she's next in line for a big X book. Absolutely. Um, somebody else I, I'd love to see on an X book if they're reshuffling the line in the next uh, few months is Leah Williams who co-wrote the X-Men Gold Annual and I think you know why I'm bringing this up uh, Zach yeah, talk about Maggot 
<laughs> she's leading the charge for all of us. We've been we've been silenced for too long, and <laughs> now we have we have momentum for a new maggot book. <laughs> I I forget who it was, but it was someone at Marvel who was doing a Q and A. Maybe Tom Brevard. I don't remember who uh, it was, but the question was about maggot, and and the, it was it was a Q and A with a lot of long answers, and the maggot answer was not maggot, never maggot. said. <laughs> 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 Well, you know, there is a new editor in the X office. Things things could change. Yeah, I, I tweeted at Matthew Rosenberg, like, oh, so are you bringing Maggot back? And he was just like, no. Like, that was it. That was the entire response. Like, no, I'm not. Um, I, uh, I, did, I did talk to Leah Williams last week, and... Uh, I started off. I, Amer- these episodes are gonna are gonna drop out of order, so uh, that should show up next week. But I did start with your question about why is Maggot the greatest character ever in the history of ever. I can't wait to hear what she said. You know, I'm still shaking my. Okay, I don't I don't hate <laughs> Maggot. I'm not anti Maggot. I don't want to I don't want to give off that impression. It's just. It's it's weird to me, but I think that's a product of my age. Like I'm, I'm like the. I I came up into X Men like during the cartoon, and so uh-huh. for me, my peak my peak X Men is like. Ninety one to ninety six. Let let's say that you know onslaught was sort of the beginning of of the end, and so to see this like community that has sprung up on Twitter around the guy with the, the metal slugs that eat stuff. It's bizarre. I, I have a theory, though. I have a theory why. Um, and I, I think it has to do with, like, it, in Maggot, Morrow, and, and Celia Reyes, that sort of X-crop yeah. uh, that, that came up together, were the first batch of X-Men to get introduced and, like, not pay off, really. Like, they just kind of showed up, got added to the X-Men, and never really did anything. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of us, we we'd been reading, and even characters like Longshot and Dazzler sort of paid off in some way, and were were consequential to storylines. And these characters were just introduced and almost immediately dropped. And so I think that a lot of this is people who who felt shortchanged by that, and uh, and are like, no, bring them back. We want to see more of them. It's the, we it's the lost generation of X Men, along with. Uh... <laughs> Uh, the Neil Shara Thunderbird and uh, Lifeguard and Slipstream. You you can make a team at this point of these characters. It, it would sell very few copies, but you could do it. <laughs> I suppose you could do anything, but that doesn't mean you should. Yeah. I, I, I kind of think of that era as like the dark times between when Scott Lobdell left and when Grant Morrison started. Yeah, well, I think the the, the Maggot Morrow, Celia Reyes character, where Lobdell, he had plans for them and then was sort of unceremoniously um, not allowed to finish them. Right, and then Siegel and Kelly uh, showed up and they were like, oh, I don't really know what to do with these guys. They were like bad step-parents, essentially. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to do with them, I just want these kids gone. Didn't Claremont, because I think Claremont used Cecilia Reyes when he was... Like when he came back, and I think he got her hooked on drugs or something. She, she's um, she's gotten a bit more run certainly than Maggot, and maybe even than than Morrow, who, who, you know, I guess lumping Maggot in with those other two characters is a little unfair to them because they're not they're not quite as preposterous. But um, I think Cecilia Reyes is in line to be in that new 
new mutants movie that's coming out yeah her character was in the in that trailer that we we saw back in october but that movie's been pushed back so far and apparently rewritten and reshot that who knows what the final product's gonna be apparently Uh, john ham was supposed to be mr sinister at some point did you know how amazing would that have been i would have loved that that i love john uh, John ham as a villain in any context he's just great evil um so they're not doing that now that's that's out Apparently, I don't know. I'm just, you know, I, we're all reading the same stories online. Who knows what's actually true? But apparently, like, he had shot or was cast for a post credit scene in the New Mutants movie where he was going to be Mr. Sinister, kind of playing off what happened in the post credit scene in X-Men Apocalypse, the whole Essex right. Corporation thing. That's right. Oh, that's unfortunate. I would have loved that. Yeah. And he's narrating Legion now, so... Yeah, I wonder what the deal with that is. I mean, I, I guess everyone watching the show does. <laughs> it's not a profound thought, but yeah, uh, I mean, you can you can watch Legion and still not know what is going on in Legion. Yeah, that's I do. Kind of half I, the fun of Legion. Yeah, that's that's part of what I like. I just kind of let it wash over me. That's all you can really do. Yeah, I don't I don't try to speculate. I'm just like, okay, here it comes. Yeah, I mean, the show's all about unreliable narration, so. And you have the gifted too, uh, which is sort of the exact opposite. It's very linear. It's very it's very laid out. So if you want your kind of easy to easy to understand X fix, you have it. Yeah, that that that's kind of my understand. I, I haven't been watching the gifted. My understanding of that show is you know it's kind of slow to start, but once it picks up, if you're if you're like a hardcore X Men fan, like the Easter eggs are there for you to pick up. Oh, they sure are. Yeah, and it was slow. Like I, I would sort of, I kind of watched it while like doing other things, you know, like on my laptop or whatever. And and you're right. Like by the, I don't know, half maybe halfway through, I I found myself um, closing my laptop and just totally focused and into it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, I think that's gonna wrap it up for uh, for this week, Zach. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk Avengers, talk Eisner's, talk Maggot. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, <laughs> uh, where can people find you online? Uh, Batmansbookcase.com and on Twitter at Batman's Bookcase. All right. Zach, thank you once again for doing the show. Yeah, always fun. That's it for this week's show. Don't forget Saturday's free comic book day. We'll have a gallery up at WMQComics.com of all this year's freebies. And if you live in southern New Jersey, come check me out at Level Up Entertainment in Mays Landing. I'll be hosting a creator panel with local artists Zach Dolan, Savage Hawkman and Pizza Tree writer Mark Poulton, and Unique Studios owner Roya Ukupe. In the meantime, new episodes of WMQ&A move Mondays on SoundCloud, iTunes, and at WMQComics.com, where you can also find all sorts of great comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. Follow us at WMQ Comics on Facebook and Twitter, and me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote. We'll see you next time.